Amen. It's so true that your love has changed our lives already, Lord. And Lord, we want to know you better because to know you is to love you. You are such a great and an awesome God. We ask right now as we go to your word that you alone would be our teacher. Lord, may we, may we be attentive to what you want to minister to every heart. Lord, we know we're all here by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. And so, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would move in a mighty and a powerful way. May we leave here closer to you than the way that we came. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Turn in your Bibles. And you're going to need one. I don't know if we have I don't know what the deal is here. We hand them out at the other place. Maybe they've got them in the... Very good. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, welcome. Great to have you here. At Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up. You're a part of the family. That's how it works. Amen? And so uh, I want to encourage you. Pray about coming out on Wednesday night. We're going verse-by-verse through the Old Testament. We'll be in Judges 13, beginning to look at the life of Samson this coming Wednesday. Well, to catch you guys up, Thessalonians, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, we started again in chapter 1, we're halfway through chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 13 this morning, but we began looking at this letter written to the church in Thessalonica, and just to, to give me a background on these guys, this was a church that was very young, probably less than a year that this church has even existed, and Paul ended up coming to Thessalonica because God had given him a vision of a Macedonian saying, come and bring us the gospel. Well, he went first to Philippi, as we talked about. He got to Philippi. We know what happened there. He met a woman by the name of Lydia down by the water. And there he led her to the Lord and her whole family. Many people got saved. But the people in Philippi weren't too thrilled to see people coming to know Christ. And they put them in prison after beating them. We know that then he was in prison with Silas. And while they're in prison, that they... That an earthquake came as they were worshiping the Lord. And you know what? That's a great time for an earthquake to come, by the way. So they're worshiping and it just starts, the earth starts quaking. And as that happens, the doors fly open. Their chains were loosened. The guard wakes up and realizes that the doors are open, thinking he's now going to die because you pay the penalty for whatever prisoner gets away. He takes his sword out. He's about to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do any, any harm to yourself. We're still here. How many prisoners stay when the doors open up? Again, God is in control. So the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? That's why he stayed. And he leads the Philippian jailer to the Lord, him and his entire household. Having been run out of Philippi, they traveled into Thessalonica. Now Thessalonica was the capital city. And it was a large city of the day, about 200,000 people. I find this interesting, that it was a city of about 200,000 people filled with pagan idolatry. And it was on on the beach. What does that sound like? Santa Cruz County's got about, the county itself has about 200,000 people. And this was a very prosperous city. I don't know if we qualify for that or not, but this was a city that was caught up in pagan idolatry. And he comes into the city and he's only in the synagogue for three weeks. He goes into the synagogue, which is what Paul did. Even though he mainly was to reach out to the Gentiles, he would always go first to the Jews and share with them that the Messiah had come. The Messiah you've been waiting for, he came already, and his name's Jesus Christ. And he spent three weeks in the synagogue, and guess what? A bunch of people got saved. As you've heard me say with Paul, riot or revival, and often both. Everywhere he went, 
He never left quietly. Something always happened wherever that brother went. Amen? And so he goes into Thessalonica. He's there for three weeks. People start getting saved. Well, the Jews that are there are not real happy. Because he's teaching, you you can just come to know Christ. You don't have to become a Jew first. You can come to know the Lord. And so they gathered up some guys, hired some lewd men, and they chased him out of town. He left there, and he went down to Berea, starts preaching the gospel down there. Guess what happened? People started getting saved. The people from Thessalonica were such a mess, they came down to Berea and kicked him out of there because they heard people down the road were getting saved, and they didn't like that either. So now he ends up in Corinth. And this church, where he had only spent three weeks, is growing and flourishing and actually doing very well, even though they're being persecuted big time. They're in this city filled with pagan idolatry. They're in this place where they're catching grief for their their faith. Uh, Many of them are being beaten, and, and we don't even know the extent of all that they went through. So Paul gets word back that in the midst of this persecution, this church is doing really well. Now part of the problem was that some of the people were even saying, where's Paul? You know, where's your pastor? He shows up for three weeks. A bunch of you convert to, your, to Christianity, and he runs out of town. I don't mention the fact that a bunch of people ganged up on him and got him out of town. But so he's writing this letter back. Some time has gone by, as much as a year. He's in Corinth. He gets word from Timothy about the church. And this is what this letter is. It's this letter to the people in Thessalonica of this new church, fairly young, and encouraging them to stand strong in the face of persecution. Maybe you're here this morning, you need to hear that same thing. Stand strong in the face of persecution. You know, we live in a city much like Thessalonica. This is a city that needs Jesus, amen? Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, and man, may it come to mean that one day, amen? Maybe a place that's known for the gospel. People say, no, there's no way. Well, you know what? God can do it, amen? God can transform this place. He's going to do it one person at a time. So the the theme of this book was living a life of genuine Christianity, not only in word, but in action. And you know what? We need more of that in the church today. A lot of people give lip service about being Christians, but you would never know it by watching their lifestyle. We ought to be glowing in the dark for Jesus Christ. Amen? People ought to look at us and say, what is up with you? And we know the answer. It's Jesus. Amen? Amen? We ought to be able to, our neighbors, our co-workers, everybody ought to see something is different about us. I promise you, wherever Paul went, they knew he was different. And the same Holy Spirit lives in you if you're born again today. Amen? Amen. And I know, oh man, we're getting all radical. But you know what? It's time to get radical. Because to, you know, the Bible says today's a day of salvation. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. So this is written about 2,000 years ago, but it has a clear application for us. In the first three chapters, as I, I talked about when we reviewed, he's reminding them of their past and their faith and how they came to know God. When we get to chapter 4, he's going to talk to them about their present, living for the Lord. And when we get to chapter, the second half of chapter 4 and chapter 5, he's going to talk to them about the promise to come, the rapture of the church. You know, there's nothing else that needs to happen for, this church, for the church to be raptured. And you know what? Look at what's happening in Israel. We're closer than we've ever been. Amen? And we need to live every day like it's the last day that we may have to serve the Lord. Again, no man knows the day or the hour. God may give us a hundred more years. We don't know. But He may give us a hundred more seconds too. And we need to live like it. So the first chapter, he gave this picture of genuine Christianity and talked about being broken and repentant before the Lord and that true salvation should change everything. If you weren't here, I encourage you to grab the CD. CDs here are always free, as are Bibles. If you need a Bible, you need a CD. You can't t- I don't think you can take these Bibles. You have to wait until next Sunday to take one of ours, all right? 
If you really need one, we'll, we'll work it out, all right? But here's the point. When you get saved, your whole life ought to change, amen? And we saw that in chapter 1. It ought to change the kind of person you are. It ought to change uh, the fact that you now have experienced real peace. For the first time, have true intimate fellowship with the Father through prayer. You ought to have a life that has purpose every single day. And our lives should be different, empowered by the Spirit of the living God. That our source of pleasure should change and our perspective on eternity. Well, as we got to chapter 2, we began to see that God's calling on our lives is not only that our lives change, chapter 1, but we ought to be having an impact so that other people's lives change as well. Guys, we didn't get saved so we could hide her under a rock somewhere. You guys remember that song, if you're a little kid, This is the Light of Mine? Hide it under a bush? Oh no, right? I'm going to let it shine. And you know what? God doesn't want us hiding our light under a bushel. And when we got to chapter 2 last week, we looked at how God's calling upon every one of us not to just have our lives impacted by the Lord, but our lives impacting others for the Lord as well. And God's called each of us to be not only disciples, but disciple makers. What did Jesus say as He ascended back into heaven? Go therefore into all the world and make what? Disciples, not converts, disciples. A disciple is a learner. And they can't be learning if no one's teaching, amen? And everybody here can be teaching somebody. So last week we looked at the message, living a life that will strengthen the faith of others. And we talked about, again, the heart of Paul towards the people of Thessalonica. Now this morning we're going to finish off the chapter, chapter 2. And we're going to encourage, again, see the encouragement of these precious new believers in the church by Paul. And he's going to encourage them who though new in their faith and facing great opposition, he's going to encourage them how to stand for the Lord. Again, the small minority of people in a town filled with wickedness. Santa Cruz, amen? This place needs the Lord. And you know what, that's why we're here. These new believers face not only opposition from the pagan idolaters, but also from the religious people of the day. And we're going to see today that Satan's going to get involved. So you know what, we too, it's the world... It's even the religious people of the day. It's our own flesh and it's the enemy. And again, we can over-spiritualize things sometimes, but the Bible says we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. These new believers are doing well, but there's an enemy that wants to hinder them. By the way, you start serving God, there's going to be someone waiting for you. But here's the good news. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Four of the words we're going to see as we go through here, and you note them when you, get, when you see them, five actually, are words Paul used talking about how the enemy wanted to come against them. One thing he talked about was affliction. That word means pressure from circumstances. He said that they had suffered or would suffer. That's the same word that was used for the suffering of our Savior. Persecuted, meaning driven out and rejected. The word contrary, meaning a wind was blowing against them, trying to hinder their progress. And finally, hindered by Satan, which the word means to break up the road so no more traveling can take place upon it. These precious new believers were under big time pressure. They had just given their lives to the Lord. They were on fire for God. God was doing a work. The letter comes to them now because opposition's rising up. And now it's time for them to be able to stand in the midst of persecution and in the midst of trials. You know what it says in 1 Thessalonians, and you become, in the first chapter, and you become followers of us, the Lord, having received the word in much application, affliction, excuse me, with joy and the Holy Spirit. Guys, they were being afflicted and they still had joy. How is that possible? How can you be afflicted 
going through difficulty and still have joy. Isn't joy based on your circumstances? That's what the world would tell us, right? Every commercial you watch on TV, if you just get this car, you'll have great joy, right? And, you know, if you just get this, there's always something else that will bring you the joy. But you know what? Joy doesn't come from the new car smell that wears off. The new believers, now their pastor was gone. Persecution was heavy. And he's writing back to them to tell them in the midst of all that's going on around them how to continue to stand strong for the Lord. To help them grow in their intimacy and their faith with the Lord. And it is indeed a spiritual battle that you and I battle every single day. As believers go, the good news is we fight from victory, not for victory. The battle's already been won, amen? And so we don't have to fight to get the victory. It's already been won. So how do we have joy in the midst of trials and tribulation the lord said this in the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer for i have overcome the world so if you're a note taker three points this morning in these eight verses we're going to look at i know a short text you for usually go a lot farther than that but i titled the message growing pains and the truth is when do you grow the most in trials and persecution is that true or not He says, count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into various trials. It's when the trials are coming that we grow the most. Then we'll pray, Lord, draw me closer unto you. Hold on. Because often, that's when the difficulty comes. But may we be so in love with the Lord that we don't care what difficulty comes. Because ultimately, all we want is to be closer to Him. So if you're taking notes, three points in this Message called Growing Pains. Divine resources in times of suffering and persecution. Here's the divine resources that they had. And it's the same divine resources that you and I have. As we're going through the struggles of life. Some of you are here and your marriage is a mess. Some of you are here you got struggles with your children at home. Some of you financial problems. Some of you health issues. Guess what? The same things that he's encouraging them with, I'm going to encourage you with as well. And these are the three points. Number one, the resources that we have, God's Word is within us. God's Word is within us, available to us, and we have access to it 24-7, and God's desire for each of us as believers is to put it deep into our hearts. Number two, God's people are all around us to encourage us, exhort us, stand with us. Guys, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Too often... You know, Christians go off and want to go and find themselves. You know, you need to find yourself. You need to find Jesus. Amen? Too often we're off trying to find ourselves. That's the problem. We need to be around other believers and be encouraged in our walk. And then thirdly, God's glory goes before us. You know, Jesus is coming back. And that's a promise that you and I have that's not going to change no matter what goes on in this life. No matter what disease you get, no matter how bad your finances are, no matter what happens with your family, Jesus is still coming back, and God is still on the throne, and they can't vote Him out of office. Amen? And He always will be. And I can't wait to see Him face to face. How about you? So let's begin in verse 13 of this message titled, Growing Pains. Divine resources in times of suffering and persecution. Point number one, God's Word is within us. It empowers us. Look at verse 13. For this reason, this is Paul speaking, we also, who's we? Paul, Silas, Luke, those who are with him. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, 
Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as, but as it is in truth. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. I love to look up the, the words in the original language. Without ceasing means uninterrupted, nonstop. We're thanking God uninterrupted and nonstop. We can't, we just, we can't get over it. We're so excited. And here's why we're so pumped up. And you think, what would make Paul sitting again in, a, in Corinth, uh, in a, a difficult situation for himself, and we see his heart, and his desire for these people. These words to follow will reveal the the key to having joy in the midst of a difficult situation. Having peace when everything around you is a mess. How do you do that? Well, here's step number one, and you can't go to step number two until you get step number one. This isn't a multiple choice. This isn't a Chinese restaurant, right, where you pick two items. you got to pick them all here, and it starts with this one. Because if you don't get this one, why have church? And let's just, so here's what it says. He was unable to come to them, but at the same time, he's standing before God on their behalf just saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, I have to, I have to confess. You know, most of you know I was a youth pastor for 15 years. And I love teenagers. I know that's a sickness probably, but I do. <laughs> and you know what? When our youth group was over here worshiping, I was a mess. You know why? Because I... It just blesses me to see young people worshiping the Lord. Amen? Amen. And you know what? This is the heart of Paul that he hears where they're at with the Lord. And he's just saying, thank you, Lord. Though I'm far away to hear what's going on in their lives. Thank you. Thank you. Uninterrupted praise. Uninterrupted thanksgiving for what God is doing in their hearts. It brought them to the point where they couldn't thank the Lord enough. And what was it that was happening that had touched them so much? What was it that would cause this great joy and uninterrupted thanksgiving for their pastor or their spiritual father, if you will, of these new believers in the faith? Look what it says, the second half of the verse. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is, as it is, as it is, in truth, the Word of God. Why was he so out of control, blessed? Because they had received his Word as the truth, the Word of God. Guys, that's what needs to happen in the church today. The Word of God is under attack if you're not paying attention. I mean, mainline denominations, people are attacking the Word of God. People are coming out making statements like, we, we can't even say anymore that we agree that Jesus is the only way. What Bible are you reading? Well, it's all up for interpretation. Interpret John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes of the Father but by me. What part of interpretation are you struggling with on that verse? How else you want to interpret that, that Jesus is the only way? Amen? But sadly, the Word of God is under attack. And why is he excited? Because he said, we believe the Word you have said, that it is the Word of God, and we trust in it. And we need more of that in the body of Christ today. Not to be the opinion of man. That's what people say. Look what it says there. You welcomed it not as the Word of men. What are people saying about the Bible today? It's the Word of men. 2,000 years ago, these brand new believers in Thessalonica under total persecution said it's the Word of God. People today, with every kind of Bible you could possibly imagine, Bible software, you know, Christian television, 
Christian music saying, well, it's just the words of men. It's a man's opinion. By the way, if you're here and you think that that's true, let me encourage you. 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And I want to encourage you, if you have questions or doubts, I'll stay here as long as I have to after church today to talk to you. Because the Word of God is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And when we we downplay the Word of God, we've downplayed the God of the Word. Where you're at with Jesus will be determined on where you're at with His Word. If you doubt His Word, you doubt Him. If you make this less than perfect, you make Him less than perfect. If you question the Word of God, you're questioning the God of the Word. And here we see very clearly... That he's so blessed because it wasn't a vague belief in some faraway God, but it was the truth that this is the Word of God. What you shared with us, Paul, that's the Word of God. It also proves to us that Paul knew what he was sharing was indeed the Word of God. This is an acid test for true believers today. What you do with God's Word will determine where you're at with Jesus Christ. No Bible, it's not a church. No Bible, no truth, no salvation. It's not a church. And people go, man, that's just really judgmental. You know, if you don't have food at a restaurant, it's not a restaurant. I guess that's judgmental. You can't eat if there's no food. And you can't be fed if there's no Bible. You know, we got enough of these, all these programs, men are coming. We don't need programs, we need the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the opinions of men. That's not what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we don't need to apologize, you know, speak it in love always. Truth in love. Speak it in love. But we don't need to apologize for it, amen? You know, it's interesting that Jesus is so closely linked because in John 1, 1 it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and later it says, and the Word became... Flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus Christ. I've had guys say to me, you Calvary Chapel guys act like the Bible's the fourth part of the Trinity. I go, no, it's the second part, because Jesus Christ (laughs) is the Word. Amen? Amen? When we start getting away from the Word of God, we've missed it. Completely. And just look at him. He's so, I mean, I'm so far away from you, but the fact that you're grasping that this is the Word of God, that's all I need to hear. Thank you, Lord. This is where the Apostle Paul's at when it comes to the believers in Thessalonica. I find it interesting that Jesus and the Bible are both called the bread, the light, and the truth. And the Word. That's not by chance. God's Word reveals to us the person of the Son. What we believe about the Bible, where we reflected in how we treat it and how much time we spend in it. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer these because you're going to be busted, because I was. What's more important to you, food or the Bible? Oh. You might, oh, the Word of God, man. I'm all about the Word. I'm all about the Word. How many times did you eat yesterday, and how many times did you read your Bible? Now, why did I bring that up? Well, in Job, it says this. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I esteem the Word of God more than my necessary food. Can you imagine if we read the Bible as many times as we ate? We would be spiritual giants 
and a lot thinner. Amen? <laughs> now, what's interesting about this to me is that we see the Word of God under attack, and we've got this thing today where we think that, the, that as long as we're meeting and it's spiritual, then somehow it's, some good can come of it. And so I don't know why I did this, and I, and I want to make it very clear that I want us to pray for these people. But I pulled up, have, has anybody ever looked at the religion and spirituality calendar in the Santa Cruz Sentinel? 80 listings, guess how many Christian churches? One. You can go to the cauldron of creation. I'm reading it. The cauldron of creation. A ritual trance, dance, and celebration presented by the community seed of Santa Cruz. We need to pray for those people. This is called the beat face of God. The beat face of God by the universal universalist. What is that? (laughs) Fellowship of Santa Cruz. Here's another one. The crucifixion of Mary Magdalene. Now, I'm not, mo- uh, you know, I want to make it very clear. I'm not mocking these people. I'm, my heart's breaking for them. You know, you know who's going to these things? Our neighbors. Our co-workers. The, the Gia calls, what does it mean to follow an earth-based religion? That's one of the themes here. Uh, a bardic celebration in a feast of Lukhad something. I can't pronounce it. The five smooth stones of liberal religion. This is what people in Santa Cruz are doing on Sunday. Do we need to be salt and light here or what? Amen. And we need to be focused again that the Word of God is the, is, the, is the make it or break it point. No Bible, it's not church. No Bible, you can't get saved. Because it's, the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. You've heard me say it before. If you're not going to teach the Word, throw some horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club because it's not church. Amen? It's just not. And I go through this list. It's so sad. I mean, here's one in SoCal where you can explore a direct contact with universal life energy source and discover your true self, receiving guidance for your own life from within your own inner being. What in the world does that mean? And that, you know, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? I'm half tempted to take one Sunday off and have us all go to one of these different meetings... And show up with the Bible and just start sharing the gospel there because that's what they need to hear. Amen? Amen. Just go down there. Because it just breaks my heart. And you know what? His heart here is, guys, it's about the Lord. And I'm thanking God because you're in the Word and you get it. And that's what matters. And it needs to be more important than our necessary food. And also, what about money? What's more important, God or money? Psalm 119 says, God's word is worth more than all the world's riches. Is that true or not? Everything else is perishing, you guys. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter. The only thing you're taking heaven with you is people. And yet, the way we live our lives, and I've been guilty of it too, is we're toiling for stuff that is perishing. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say we're fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship's going down, guys. Let's get on the helicopter or the lifeboat instead of fighting over stuff that's perishing. And let's bring as many people with us as we can. Would you rather read the Word or sleep? Psalm 119 says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on the Word 
of God. The Thessalonican people were running well because they had received the word and they believed it to be true. And that's why their pastor far away was stoked and saying, thank you, Lord. You know, few things bless me more than walking by one of my kids' rooms and seeing them with the Bible open. This is the pastor's heart here. He's blessed. He's excited because they're in the word of God. He says there, the last part of that verse, which also effectively works in you who believe. Here's the thing about the Word of God. It not only works on you, but it works in you. It doesn't just change what you know. It doesn't just change your heart, but it changes your mind and it changes your will. It ought to, amen? If you're walking in it, if you're filled with it, if you're pursuing the Lord, if you're in the Word of God every day, it's going to change the person you are. You've heard it said that you know, the, the Word of God will, will absolutely transform your life. It will change everything about you. And, you know, one of Satan's favorite tools, I saw a bumper sticker not that long ago that said, you know, uh, hey, you're busy, skip your devotion, sign Satan. And, you know, that's pretty accurate, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how things go crazy when you try to sit down and read your Bible? Isn't it amazing how things, you know, it was amazing, I, I taught youth study for years and I had, when we had little children every Tuesday night I would come home and it would be like the house was on fire it must be Tuesday I'm going to go teach the Bible to a bunch of teenagers and that's what's happening and you know again the enemy wants to keep us out of the word why? because he knows it will radically transform the people we are and we'll start having an impact on the people around us amen so we need to read the book and don't wait for the movie amen get into God's word So God's Word within us, empowered by the Scriptures, reading it. God's Word will transform your life. And we need not water it down or make excuses for it. Always do it in love, but speak it with great boldness. We need more of that today. Secondly, not only do we have God's Word in us. So we're going through difficulty. We're going through trials. We're going through struggles. Where do we get peace? From the Word of God. How do we do that? By spending time in it and having it so burned on our heart that it just comes out of our mouths. Don't you love how so often you'll be doing your devotions and then that day it'll totally apply? Isn't it great how God does that? That's the God that we serve. Well, not only do we have God's Word within us to help us during times of suffering and difficulty and persecution, but also God's people around us. The example of the saints that are around us. Look what it says in verse 14. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Now what's interesting, is these guys were brand new believers. Their pastor had left, so who did they pattern themselves after? Other Christians. You know, that's what's going on with them. That's what's going on. And he's encouraging them. They're standing for the Lord. They're getting persecuted too. Does the Word of God promise that you will be persecuted? What's the answer? It does. Oh, I didn't sign up for that. I want the get out of hell free card and that's it. I want the get out of hell free card and the rocking chair in the front and that's it. And when, when the rapture comes, I want to be first in line. But until then, leave me alone. That's not Christianity. It's not a religion, you guys. It's a relationship. And when you fall in love with Him, you don't care who knows. Matter of fact, you want everybody to know. How many people are married in here? Remember how excited you were to introduce your spouse when you first met her and you were getting engaged and you couldn't wait to tell everybody about her? 
in Him, right? Hopefully it's still that way. Court your wife all your life, guys. Amen? But you know what? Do you remember that? Oh, I can't wait. You know, I can't wait to introduce her around. You know what? We ought to be more in love with the Lord. That's what the Word of God says. We ought to be more fired up to introduce Him because not only can, can they know our best friend, but they can be, He can be their best friend too. Amen? That's what the Lord desires to do. He says there, he's encouraging them. Because here they are, they've been isolated. The, the people were there telling them, oh, Paul bailed on you guys. Here you are all by yourselves. Nobody knows what you're going through. You ought to just go back to worshiping the idols like you used to. But the Word of God tells us that we enter into the fellowship of His sufferings. That blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. And He says there, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God. You know what? The same thing that happened in Judea is happening here. You're standing up for God and the world doesn't like it. Again, notice the strong rejection from His own countrymen. The Bible tells us that a prophet is never received in his own hometown. Have you ever noticed the hardest people to witness to is your own family? Is that true or not? You try to witness to your own family. You can talk to the neighbor and the co-worker and everybody else. And you start talking to your brother. And he's like, ah, I remember when you were eight years old. And I've seen every vile thing you've ever done get out of here, right? I know too much about you to listen to anything you have to say. A prophet is not received in his own hometown. And you know what? That's what's happening in Thessalonica. Their own people are coming after them. Why? Because they simply have fallen in love with the Lord. But here, Paul's heart, heart of a pastor, is encouraging them, letting them know, guys, what's happening to you is what happens everywhere someone makes a stand for the Lord. We need to find strength in the faithful example of others. Doesn't it encourage you when you see someone on fire for God? Doesn't it bless you? I get so fired up when I see someone just on fire for the Lord. I, you know, I wish I saw it more, but I love to see someone witnessing to somebody. Man, I'll stop dead in my tracks and start praying for them because I'm blessed. When you see coworkers, when you see neighbors or other people that just have such a passion for the Lord, doesn't it ignite the fire in you? He's saying, look, these people here, they're going through the same thing. Here's how they've responded. Find strength in the faithful example of others. It may sound weird, but believers are to rejoice when they're persecuted because they're being treated like the saints who went before them. In the book of Acts, after having been beaten and warned to never speak again in the name of Jesus, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Does that sound like the church today? Praise God I got to suffer for Him. Not so much. Usually what I hear is, Man, you know, I barely, you know, I bring my Bible to work. I'm catching nothing but grief, man. I think I'm just take it home. Weak. <laughs> Amen. Be salt and light. Your appointments with afflictions, especially persecutions, because you're a believer, are what God foreordained before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? Now Satan's going to come into play in a few verses here, but remember this: Satan can't do anything unless God lets him. Did you know that? Satan is not the opposite of God. He's toast compared to God. Amen? He's not the opposite of God. He's nowhere near God. He's not close to God. And Satan can only do what God allows him. So guys, it's not just about being persecuted, but it's learning to have a heart that is so in love with the Lord that you don't waver in the face of persecution. That's what it's really all about. You know how you find out if someone's really spiritually mature? When the heat gets turned up. Most of you know that we support, as a church, I don't know how many gospel-free missionaries now. 
with ours as in, and then you as individuals, I think it's probably 150. Most of you know that I get a chance to go there every year and, and teach these guys how to study and teach the Bible because that's all they have. They don't have commentaries, they don't have Bible software in some ways, that's a good thing. And so teaching them how to study the Bible using only the Bible. Well, a few years ago on my trip, I would teach, there was 500 kids and the students in the class, and then at the end of the day, they would drive me out to different churches. Well, one night, my driver, Alex, drove me out to this jungle village out in the middle of nowhere, and I mean nowhere. And I get out there, and it's like something you would see in National Geographic. It's out in the middle of nowhere. And they had a generator, and they fired up the generator, and they fired up a light, and that's all it took. Fired up a light that they hung over a tree branch, and all of a sudden, the whole village was out there. And then he handed me a microphone and said, share the gospel. <laughs> okay. And Alex said, I'll interpret. I said, praise the Lord. So I started sharing the gospel. And I have to tell you that this was the, one of the most unique times. I've, I've had the blessing of sharing the gospel many times. And this was pretty unique because I'm not five minutes into it. And a crowd of guys carrying clubs and spears show up. And they're not real happy that I'm there. And they start making some noise. And they start moving closer. And I'm kind of looking at Alex like, what are we supposed to do? And Alex goes, just keep preaching, bro. Just keep going. Just keep going. So I kept going. And eventually some guys stood up and kind of got these guys to settle down. And by the end of the night, six of these guys got saved. So God is great. Now, I will openly admit to you, I was flashing through. Now, who's going to take over the church when this spirit... I do have life insurance paid. I'll be in heaven. I'm not worried about me. <laughs> Alex never flinched. We get back in the van. We're driving back. And I'm like, Alex, so what would you think of that? He goes, oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that could have been kind of rough. <laughs> so I start talking to the other person in the car. And he said, you got to realize something, Dave. He said, Alex has probably been beaten more than 100 times. Sharing his faith. And a matter of fact, he spent three years in prison once and a year in prison the other time for simply handing out tracts and showing the Jesus movie. And every time they let that brother out, within half an hour, he's back doing it again. So you know what? That brother been beaten a hundred times and he was like 101, bring it on. I'm, we're going to keep sharing the gospel. Here's a brother. This is not saying, well, yeah, you know, though they slay me, yet will I trust. No, he's been there. It's one thing to say that you'll stand in the face of persecution. It's another thing to do it. Amen. And that's what it's about. It's not just being persecuted, but continuing to have faith in the face of persecution. Amen? And that's what this is about. It's like, look, guys, it's not just about being persecuted, but it's standing for God when nobody else will, regardless of what the consequences are going to be. I share with you about the two guys that when Bill and I were there last time, came in, and they they had a projector. Both these guys were probably about 17 years old. And they were going out showing the Jesus film out, and they had been beaten unconscious. But they came in to tell us the story and they were smiling and laughing. And they're smiling and laughing because they said, we woke up and we didn't hurt at all. And we didn't have any bruises. They beat us unconscious, but we're fine. And we got a new projector and we're going back down there tomorrow. And I'm like, wow, these guys are 17. Am I saved? You know what I mean? It's not, in theory, willing to lay down our lives. It's doing it and you know what? Once we've done it, I, I believe, you know, in Alex's case, he's proven he's ready. If I didn't think GFA would shoot me, I'd bring that guy back here. Because he would light this. I mean, that brother just gets it. 
He just straight out gets it. But you know what? The same Holy Spirit that is in Him is in each one of us. And God can do just as much with us if we will simply be willing. Guys, it's not just standing up in the face of persecution or just enduring it quietly, but it's loving the Lord and saying, Lord, you allowed it, so whatever you want to do with it, go ahead, because I love you anyway. Lord, I want to learn through the persecution. Look what it says here in verse 15 and 16. Who, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. They do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. These guys wouldn't let them share the gospel to the Gentiles. It was the Jews... And he says that they were the ones that crucified the Lord. Now remember, we've got to always be careful. We should never be anti-Semitic about anything. Amen? Amen. Does God still have a great plan for the Jewish people? What's the answer? Yes. Absolutely. Okay? Now, who was really guilty, ultimately, of putting Jesus on the cross? Everybody in this room. Why? He had to go because of our sin. Amen? Now... The Romans took part in it. The Jews took part in it. That's the point he's making here. But what he's saying is that these were my own countrymen, my own people, who I once you know, walked with, and now they're keeping us from sharing the gospel with the Gentiles. Why? Because we are telling the Gentiles they don't have to be Jews to be saved. They can just be saved. And the Jews didn't like that. You know, even the Jewish, early Jewish Christians struggle with that. Well, you still got to be circumcised, and you got to keep the the Sabbath, and you got to keep our dietary rules, and you got to, and the, no, you don't. What did Jesus say? Last words on the cross. It is finished. He didn't say that's a good start. He didn't say step one of five. He said it's finished. He said, okay, there you go, and don't eat meat. He didn't say that. And when we add to the cross of Christ, we make it less than it is. Amen? And so this persecution is coming, and he Again, it's letting them know this is the same thing that happened to our Savior. This is the same thing that happened when He was sharing the truth. You know what? If it happened to our Savior, should we be above it happening to us? The point He's making is that as children of the Lord, we should not be expected to be treated any different than the Lord was when He was here. And you know what? Paul also comforted them with the awareness that they were right. He said, guys, they're wrong, not you. Can I make it real clear to you? All the all this 80 things we saw in the paper, it's wrong. Oh, you're judgmental again. One plus one is two. I'm being judgmental. The truth is the truth. Amen? You know what amazes me? Isn't the gospel simple? Is it really difficult to figure out or understand? Some of these things, I guarantee if we went to them, you would have, your head would be on a swivel trying to figure out what in the world they're talking about. And yet you tell somebody, the building's on fire, there's the door, that's the only way out, and they go, well, I'm not so sure. I want to investigate some other exit plans. I've thought about tunneling through the carpet and chipping up the concrete, because that just seems narrow to me that that would be the only way out. Jesus said, I'm the door, amen? He is the only way out. He's the only way unto salvation. And sadly, we see here, they killed the Lord. Don't be surprised when they come after you. Don't be surprised that His own people persecuted Him, that your own people will persecute you because you simply want to share your faith. Guys, if we're not getting persecuted, we're not sharing our faith enough. 
Amen? Because if we share our faith enough, someone's not going to... Now again, we should never... Please, don't ever be self-righteous. I had a guy I worked with one time who told me, I'm getting persecuted for my... I said, no, you're getting persecuted because you're a jerk. You know, you go and get in people's faces and start screaming at them. They're going to fry it out. I'm like, that's real effective. I'm like, dude, you're just being flat out a jerk. He would say things. He'd walk by somebody and they'd say something like, well, yeah, you know, well, just go burn in hell forever then. I'll see if I can. I'm like, yeah, that's godly. They want to know your Savior after that. I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You know when we're being persecuted is when we lay down our lives and love and serve and minister to people and then they reject it anyway. And they come after you because of it. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. You're going through a tough time right now? You're not alone. God's word is available to you. He wants to speak to you. And you have brothers and sisters in this room who are around you, who love you, who want to hold up your hands. Amen? That's the body of Christ. And that's why we need to be in fellowship. We have the empowering of the word of God. We have the example of the believers around us. And lastly, we have the promise of of heaven, the expectation of our Savior, that God's glory is coming. Look at verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with a great desire. Paul made it clear to them, guys, I know that I left town quickly, but it wasn't because I didn't love you. And it wasn't because I didn't care about you. And can I encourage you with something too? Just speaking from my heart as your pastor. Sometimes people get mad because they call the office and somebody other than me calls them back. Can I tell you that I love you guys? I love all of you. If I had enough hours in the day, I would, I would be the only one who did all of it. But is that the way the church is supposed to operate? It's Jesus that's the head of this church, not Pastor Dave, Amen. And we have other pastors and other people. And, you know, we go to the Lord first. That's who we go to first. And if you need counsel, we're there to counsel. We always will be. We're going to take you to the Word of God, not our opinions. But you know what? We need to be ministering one to another. And as the church continues to grow the way that it is, we all are in the ministry, everybody in the room. Amen? Amen. And can I encourage you, look for the new people. Don't just run to the same people you know. And love on them and minister to them and see if they need prayer. That's the way the body of Christ ought to function. And we see here that he was, his heart was broken because he wanted to make sure they didn't think he just bailed on them. Guys, I didn't bail on you. I was chased out of town. I, I, I desire to come to you. I desire to minister to you. That's my heart. Verse 18. Look what he says, though. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. I wanted to come to Thessalonica. I wanted to minister to you guys, but Satan wouldn't allow it. Now, if Satan won't allow it, who above that is allowing him to not allow it? The Lord is. I'll tell you what, it changes the perspective on everything when we get that. Amen? When we get the, the point that if it's happening, God has to allow it or it can't happen at all. You lost your job. Man, Satan's all over me. Well, the Lord let it happen. Why? You ever had that question before? Why? The word hinder there, as I said at the beginning, means to break up or to cut in. You hinder the progress of another by breaking up the road in front of them so they cannot move forward anymore. Paul's saying that Satan showed up and intervened. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, yet he's still hindered. 
I guess he doesn't have enough faith, according to some televangelists. Right? You just have to have enough faith. If you have enough faith, you can make anything you want to have happen. Aren't you glad that's not true? Can you imagine? Some of the things that you thought were right and really desired, and you look back a month later and say, thank you, Lord, for not doing that when I asked you to. I love Pastor Chuck's story that he had this girl in college he was in love with, and he prayed for years that he would be able to marry her, and it didn't happen, and God brought him his wonderful wife, Kay. And then he went back to a 25-year reunion. And this woman came in that was, he said, the meanest, most ornery. Her poor husband was, well, gee, he was, ah, 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 the whole time. And he said, and then he found out that was the woman I was praying to have as my wife. Thank you, Lord, you know. Aren't you glad God does what's best, not what we tell Him to do? Amen? Yes. And our prayers ought to be in Jesus' name. Your will be done, not mine, yours. You know better. I don't want my will, I want your will. But Satan hindered them from coming. So Paul the Apostle was blocked by Satan from going and ministering to them. We might wonder why. Why? Well, you know what? There's several reasons. I don't know for sure. But it could be that so this letter could be written. Amen? If he went to see him, would there be a first and second Thessalonians? I don't think so. God said, you know, in Santa Cruz, I, you know, you're going to need something to teach through in 2005. So this is what's going to happen. This letter's been ministering to people for 2,000 years. But if the Lord had let him go, maybe not. Maybe he also wanted the people in Thessalonica not to be putting their faith in Paul, but learning to put their faith in the Lord without their pastor there. Amen? Sometimes... There's a reason why maybe we call the office and can't get a hold of anybody. Maybe God wants us to just go straight to Him. Maybe there's times when the Lord wants us to do Again, I want to make it very clear. We're here to serve you guys. That's what we're called to do. We love to do it. But I want to encourage you. Go to the Lord first. You make us second on the list. Amen? Go to the Lord first. So Paul understood that this was a hindrance from the enemy. But he also knew that the Lord was greater. And finally, God did bring the victory. When you get to the book of Acts, it describes Paul's eventual return to Thessalonica and to other churches in the area, but it didn't happen until God allowed it. And guys, we need to learn that God allows us to go through difficulties and trials that you and I might grow and that He might be glorified. You know what? Sometimes we pray, and and I'll tell you, nothing bothers me more when I hear someone say, well, if you had more faith, you'd get healed. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh all of his life. You think that brother had some faith or what? Amen? He had great faith, but yet he suffered. Why? Because if that's what God wanted to do, that he might be glorified. Can we remember this? It'll be hard for you to hear this. It's not about you. Amen? It's about him. So we'll go, man, this is such a drag. I'm going through this trial, man. It's just so, uh, yeah, you know, well, yeah, I've been able to lead about 10 people to the Lord because of it, but man, I just, you know, it's not about you. We need to get to the point where we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not my life, not my ways, not my comfort. Give me a verse in the Bible that says you're supposed to be comfortable all the time. There's no verse. The Holy Spirit will comfort you in your trials, but He will not always deliver you from them. And you know what? Sometimes the greatest thing God can do is let us go through the illness so that we might be a testimony. We'll pray for an unsaved family member for 10 years that they'll get saved. 
then we'll come down with cancer. We'll be bummed out and God's really answering prayer because He's going to deliver us through it. They're going to see God's hand in it and it's going to be the answer that brings that person we've prayed to prayed about for 10 years to come to know Christ and we're murmuring against God when He's answering prayer. Can we just trust that God is sovereign? He is sovereign. He is faithful. Guys, God knows what He's doing. Amen? We don't, but He does. He's a faithful God. Sometimes it is the enemy that's attacking you. Sometimes it's just plain you, just plain me. Amen? I have people calling me up and want deliverance from the demon of chocolate. I'm like, the devil's got limited resources. He's not tempting you with fudge bars, okay? Don't be blaming that on Satan. Come on already. That's just plain you. Amen? But we need to remember that if anything that Satan does is only if God allows it. Last two verses. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Here's what he says. You guys are a crown. The word there for crown is Stephanos. Where we get the, words, where we get the name Stephen and Stephanie. And that word crown is not the crown of a king that's just given to him. It's the crown of somebody who wins a victory. It's the crown that's given to the one who runs the race and wins the prize. And you know what Paul is saying? You know what my prize is in this life? You guys walking with the Lord. The greatest thing, the greatest hope, the greatest joy in the world to me is the fact that you guys are walking with the Lord. It was his crown of rejoicing to see others walking with Christ. Imagine if our number one focus, passion, and desire was to serve and honor the Lord, and then after that was just to see people saved and, Lord, do whatever it takes. If I have to lose my house, fine. Would it be worth losing your house to see one person saved? What's the answer? We're not going to get to heaven and go, man, I wish I had that house, man. I was wanting to remodel. We're going to a place where gold is asphalt. Get over it, all right? In the midst of the difficulty, don't give up. Press on. You know why? Because, guys, the finish line isn't here. We're not home yet, amen? Home is in heaven. And that's what it's really all about. The, Th- the Thessalonians were aided in their afflictions by the fact that they knew that one day they were going to see their Savior. And one day you and I are going to see your, our Savior. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the struggle is that's before you, the joy that is before us is we're going to be in heaven, and that's for real. Sometimes we say that and we just act like it's no big deal. Heaven is a big deal. Amen? You know how long forever is? No, you don't. And neither do I. Amen? Forever. We're going to be in heaven. Life is but a vapor compared to eternity. And we'll murmur about, you know, that dash between those two numbers. Right? Every tombstone's got a number when you were born and a number when you died. And there's a little dash in the middle. And that's what we're living for is that dash. And that dash is nothing compared to eternity. Guys... May our lives count for eternity. And he's encouraging them in the midst of trials to say, Guys, don't lose hope because guess what? One of these days, you're going to see your Savior. 
and my joy and my glory is you. You're bummed out, or you could be because of the persecution. I want you to know my glory and my joy is the fact that you know the Lord, and we're going to be in heaven together forever. We had to be shouting that from the mountaintops. You know what? Are people looking for the answer? Did I just read you the list? They're going to everything under the sun. Pray for my land, our, our landlord, the, the people that run the park where I live. They're into this thing called Ekinkar. I had to go, what is that? And it's this total... And I, You know what, and man, I just, instead of mocking them, my heart broke for them. I thought, Lord, this is a man that needs to know Jesus. This is a man that needs to be saved. So, persecution, remember this, is an opportunity for God to be glorified and for you to grow. And remember that God's given us resources to deal with difficulty. First of all, He's got the Word of God He's given to you in, in your hand. That can, And again, along with... That we have the Holy Spirit who illuminates the truth to us. Amen? Secondly, we have people around us. This is the body of Christ. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? Don't go to your unsaved friend. Now, have people that you know and share the love of God with them, but don't go to them for counsel. Why? Because they don't know the Lord. So go to people who know the Lord for godly counsel. There are people around you who love you. You know, what I would, I, one of the biggest compliments we get as a church from people who visit is they've never seen people love each other so much. And I pray we don't lose that no matter how big this church ever gets. But that won't happen unless all of us make an effort to make sure it doesn't change. Amen? Every one of us is in the ministry. Lastly, it's not only God's people around us and God's word within us, but God's glory before us. Guys, we're going to heaven. That ought to take the edge off of anything that's going on in life. Amen? You're not alone. God is faithful. He loves you. He knew you were going to be in this trial. He put you there. You can either murmur through it or let God be glorified in it. It's up to you. And you're going to go through it either way. Amen? So you might as well go through it with the Lord on your side and let God use it. Because God is such a faithful and a loving God. So... In closing again, just remember that as we grow spiritually, we're going to have trials and we're going to have difficulties in life. But I pray that we would be a body that is so closely knit that we go through them together. Can I encourage you, if you don't, if you don't know what God's called you to do, start praying for the people in our church by name. The staff does it. We get the church directory out. I do it at home. and just pray for you guys by name. Try to every single week. And you know what? When I come here and see you, I'm excited because I've been praying for you all week and you are my family and I love you guys. And that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. Amen? That was Paul's heart. And when, you're, when the Bible says weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice and we ought to be standing together. And then I want to encourage you. Start praying for some unsafe family and friends. Start praying for unsafe co-workers. Start praying for these, mini, these not ministries. These things that are going on in town. God, give us an opportunity to share the truth with somebody that's seeking an answer there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of the most difficult time that we are never alone. Lord, I pray that when we go through trials, we would realize it's an opportunity for us to grow and for you to be glorified. Lord, may we turn to your word. May we rest in the comfort of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we turn to other brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we are, again, not alone. A three-chord strand is not easily broken. 
And then, Father, may we also rest in the fact that our eternity is already set, that we're going to be in heaven with you forevermore. And these trials in this life are but for a moment in comparison to eternity. Lord, we want our lives to count. And Father, I pray for every person that went to any one of these spiritual things we talked about today. Lord, I pray for divine appointments. That they would run into people that know you. And you bring about an opportunity to share with them the hope that lies within us. This world is blind and so desperately in need of you. Lord, may we be salt and light. May we not be ashamed of you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You're a great and awesome God, and we can't wait to see you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But when you do, may we be busy about your work. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.